You're listening to The Art of Learning, The Art of Living, and I'm your host, Cameron Thompson. Join me as we deconstruct how to develop new skills and habits to lead a more fulfilling, authentic life of human flourishing, what it truly means to live a good life. Authenticity is a familiar concept in popular culture, and even identified as an important trait for leaders by proponents of authentic leadership. Nonetheless, despite the value placed in authenticity, there have been relatively few studies that empirically examine how to develop authenticity as a dispositional dispositional trait. Studies in recent years have identified quantitative measurement for dispositional authenticity, but there have still been very few scientific studies actually examining how the trait of dispositional authenticity can be developed. So the purpose of the dissertation research that I undertook uh, for my doctorate in psychology was to examine the effectiveness of a certain development program uh, designed to increase authenticity, to to increase dispositional authenticity. And what I'd like to go through here over the next couple of episodes is to actually take selected portions from my dissertation research and, and explore a little bit what authenticity actually consists in and commenting on some of the results of my study uh, some of the results of my scientific research on authenticity and how it can be developed to see what we can suss out from that to say what are the things what are the steps what are the practices that a person can do to become more authentic now all of this is done within the context of developing traits for leadership. But let's remember that leadership doesn't just mean you have a position of authority or position of power in your company, organization, or community, but that leadership begins with self-leadership, which is actually a fundamental assumption of the concept of authenticity. So let's take a look at what authenticity itself means. It's not merely being your true self or something along those lines. It's it's not merely being sincere. There's a distinction made between authenticity and sincerity or authenticity and genuineness in that way. Authenticity contains, the idea of authenticity, rightly understood, contains elements of both sincerity and genuineness, but it also has this component of self-ownership, of really being and becoming your true self, which means taking owner, it means, really it implies that oftentimes we are not our true selves. We haven't yet become who we really are. And to become authentic means to begin to lead ourselves out of the false self and away from the masks that we hide behind and develop a certain kind of character trait, certain strengths of our personality to become who we are, which is ultimately owning our actions, our activities, our thoughts, and our behaviors, really owning our own identity as who we are meant to be. So that's why this is framed within the context of leadership. So how do we get around to this in popular discussion? How did this become a thing, especially in the context of leadership? The ethical failings of those in positions of leadership and power, whether in business, politics, or in faith communities, in the years around the turn of the 21st century, has prompted a renewed interest in character-based models of leadership over the tactical or technical approaches that have been popular in much of the 80s and 90s, and in fact are still popular today. The notion of character-based approaches to leadership is not a new idea. It has a long history, dating back to Plato and Aristotle. In the the Renaissance, Erasmus of Rotterdam emphasized the importance of character in contrast to his contemporary 
Niccolò Machiavelli's rather character-neutral utilitarian approach to leadership. In more recent years, character-based approaches to leadership, such as authentic leadership, developed by Avolio and Gardner, and virtuous leadership, developed by Alexander Havard, stand in contrast to the style-based approaches of charismatic leadership, transformational leadership, transactional leadership, and even values-based approaches like servant-based leadership, or the character-neutral neo-Machiavellianism advocated by some thinkers like Jeffrey Pfeffer. Now, the case made by proponents of a character-based system of leadership argued that it's not enough to teach mere techniques or technical management competencies, of course these are important, but the primary failings of leadership in society as witnessed in recent years are ethical rather than technical. What is needed in leadership research, proponents argue, is a reorientation towards a better understanding of the character traits required of leaders, which means going beyond both technical competence and ethical behavior to encompass the self-authoring of the leader's own moral identity. Notice the switch here that it's not, not only are we going beyond technical, tactical, or stylistic approaches to leadership, but even going beyond the idea of ethical behavior to say it's not about discrete items of behavior because we're creatures of habit. What we do actually flows from our moral identity. So let's get to the heart of the matter. Let's get to the heart of the matter, and that is to really look at the idea of self-authoring of our own moral identity. Who do we understand ourselves to be? And not just who do we understand ourselves to be in an articulate, cognizant sort of way, a way that we think about in everyday life, but who do we understand ourselves to be at a level that is even deeper than our everyday conscious, articulate thought. You could probably put it into words, if you had to, but sort of the underlying inarticulated narrative that we have about ourselves, and we tell this narrative by the way that we live. We tell this narrative by the way that we live. So what is the story we, we live by? What is the story that really guides our own moral identity? And re-examining that to actually maybe shift that so that we have greater ownership and self-authorship of our own narrative identity, of our own moral identity, what makes us who we are in the core of our being. That is what is at the heart of authenticity. This point of view on leadership development represents a paradigm shift from a focus on technical procedures and regulations to a focus on cultivating certain habitual dispositions or ways of being. This paradigm of focusing on cultivating character traits and habits is most completely addressed within the tradition of Aristotelian virtue ethics. Now, virtue ethics itself, as a broader category, has a long history and is common, in fact, to many cultures around the world. In recent years, virtue ethics, particularly the Aristotelian variety, has been experiencing something of a revival as a paradigm for evaluating ethical leadership. Aristotelian virtue ethics is founded on the belief that ethical or moral development consists in and is ensured by the cultivating of habits that shape particular dispositional traits of character, which in turn incline the individual to behave or act in a certain way. In other words, it emphasizes the importance of becoming a certain kind of person who exemplifies, with some degree of consistency, personal and professional excellence in both private and public life. Indeed, the Greek word for virtue that Aristotle uses is arete, meaning excellence which he describes as qualities that exemplify the noblest or best aspects of a person's character most aligned to human flourishing. Aristotle talks about a virtuous person and in the same breath talks about a virtuous knife. What makes for a virtuous or excellent knife? It's strong, it's sharp, it gets the job done. 
And the same principle applies into a human being. What makes for an excellent human being? What is true human flourishing? And that's what Aristotle classifies as a virtue, or those strengths of character, those habitual traits that incline us to live well. Thus, rather than behaving in a certain way in order to follow certain guidelines or rules merely because you were instructed to do so, an Aristotelian virtue ethics approach to life emphasizes cultivating certain character traits such that you will develop the habit of deciding and acting in a way that's consistent with the moral ideals of an ethically upright human being and ultimately that are aligned with those traits that make for truly flourishing human life in a human society. Now, how do we get to authenticity from this broader paradigm? So, authenticity as a dispositional trait, which is the way that it's talked about in the real sci psychological scientific literature, it's a virtue or an, a, a certain habit or disposition of human excellence identified by some as one of the foundational virtues for human flourishing. The importance of authenticity has long been recognized within the humanistic and existentialistic traditions and has been articulated at length by such philosophers as Kierkegaard, Husserl, Heidegger, Rogers, among others. Now, the benefits of authenticity as such are well known, both in the theoretical discourse and in a, quite a bit of empirical data. Authenticity is a virtue valued not only in modern Western society, but it's also identified across cultures as an important quality although the construct is sometimes referred to by different terminology, we know that these different cultures and thinkers across the world and throughout history are referring to the same basic idea. Authenticity, for instance, was valued as one of the core virtues by the ancient Greeks. Like I said earlier, the original meaning of the term authenticity means self-ownership. The Roman Stoics, such as Cicero, Marcus Aurelius, and Seneca, under the idea of self-authoring and autonomy, valued the concept or the construct of authenticity. And even the Chinese philosopher Confucius, or Kung Pu Tzu, in his medieval, uh, and also in medieval Europe by Benedict of Nursia and Thomas Aquinas, who refer to authenticity with the term humility. Now, what I used in my study for scientific purposes was a particular articulation of the construct of dispositional authenticity, uh, developed by the researchers Kernis and Goldman in 2006, which uniquely aligns with both the Aristotelian concept of virtue particular trait of human excellence that's developed by habit, as well as the humanistic existentialist tradition, both of which form the theoretical framework for my dissertation research. This particular understanding of dispositional authenticity as a trait that, that at least theoretically can be acquired through habit that consists of certain skills is in is important contrast to other conceptualizations of authenticity which we might see floating around in popular discourse. Uh, these other concepts, versions of authenticity, they tend to operate more from an atomistic anthropology, an understanding of the human person as fundamentally isolated and buffered from other human persons. Um, in other words, fundamentally individualistic. This is, this is not really acceptable uh, to real scientific research or a full understanding of the human person as, as, a, as never existing alone. See, as human beings, we're intricately connected to one another. It's part of the fundamental basis of our own identity is relationship to others. You can't actually be a person apart from a discursive relationship with other human persons. So not only does this particular approach, Kernis and Goldman's approach to dispositional authenticity, that which I use in my study, not only does it align with what 
Aristotelian virtue ethics would describe as a virtue, it also encompasses the essential components of self-knowledge and self-possession that are in fact foundational to developing those traits for human flourishing as a whole. So, to wrap up this particular episode, it's important to identify the meaning of some of the key terms that we'll be using in subsequent episodes, looking at the idea of authenticity. Because there are a number of terms that have a very specific meaning in the context of the scientific study of authenticity, drawing on specific usage and definitions within the broader literature, both in Aristotelian virtue ethics and the existentialist humanist philosophical tradition. Many of these terms may have alternate definitions or ambiguous usage in other contexts, like popular, what we might use in popular media. So for the sake of clarity, the definitions of these specialized terms that I'll be using will be defined in what follows. Authentic leadership is defined as a process that draws from both positive psychological capabilities and a highly developed organizational context, which results in both greater self-awareness and self-regulated positive behaviors on the part of leaders and their followers and associates fostering positive self-development. We mentioned the idea of virtuous leadership. Now, this is a model of leadership rooted in both Aristotelian virtue ethics and in Thomistic personalism to related philosophical schools of thought. It was developed by Alexander Havard and based on the perspective that the virtues of magnanimity and humility, or striving for greatness, and the virtue of self-knowledge and service, constitute the essence of leadership, and the virtues of courage, self-mastery, practical wisdom, and justice constitute its foundation. So, dispositional authenticity itself is defined by the scientific researchers as the unobstructed operation of one's true or core self in one's daily enterprise. So, the correct understanding of authenticity in its most basic, succinct definition is the unobstructed operation of your true self or your core self in your daily life. I mentioned already Aristotelian virtue ethics. Now it's important to, to help us understand when we're talking about how to develop a trait or a character trait. This is a systematic approach to ethical and moral theory and development that's founded on the belief that ethical or moral development consists in and is ensured by cultivating habits that shape particular dispositional traits of character, which in turn incline the individual to behave or act in a certain way. In other words, it emphasizes the importance of becoming a certain kind of person who exemplifies, with some degree of consistency, the personal and professional excellence in both personal, excuse me, private and public life. Now, virtues within that context refer to certain deeply-seated dispositions or character traits that embody a particular excellence or strength, and they are acquired through habit. So, you see, a virtue isn't just a value. A value is something that's outside of yourself. It is an idea or ideal that you use to guide yourself in the way that perhaps a navigator at sea will, will use the stars to guide their navigation. So... That's across navigation. Uh, they, they help us guide our lives. The virtue of virtue is more akin to your ability to actually sail the ship effectively to port. So furthermore, virtues predispose you to act in a particular way with some degree of consistency. They really become habits. An individual's character then is comprised of the various virtues and vices, which are the opposite of a virtue, the acquired negative traits or dispositions that a person has habituated, whether intentionally or unintentionally. We're going to talk a lot about mindfulness in this podcast. And 
it's an important component of develop, it's an important practice for developing authenticity, as my research has shown. Mindfulness is defined within the context of everything we talk about here to refer to the habit or practice of cultivating present state awareness. I also mentioned the idea of narrative identity. Narrative identity is understood in what we're going to be talking about here to refer to the internal dynamic life story that an individual constructs to make sense of his or her life. Whether or not this is consciously held or articulated in any explicit way. But it could be explicitly or implicitly held in the conscious awareness of the individual. An individual's narrative identity is the result of a continual process of self-authoring in the light of the meaningful aspects of their life experiences intrinsically bound up in relationship to others and your end embedded in a particular social context. Which means your narrative identity is sort of this running paradigm for your life that governs the way that you think. It's a lens through which you view the world. It's your way of understanding yourself and the basic paradigm out of which you respond and act and engage with the world around you and with others. Because we're social creatures, it is intrinsically bound up in your relationships to other people, shaped by your relationships, and in turn shapes your relationships. And also, is not free from the world or environment that in which you live. You're always embedded in a particular social context. Uh, even apart from the sort of specific or particular relationships that you may have with other individuals, you're born into and you live within a certain context. The philosopher Martin Heidegger would refer to the sort of thrownness that you are thrown into the world at a certain time, in a certain place in the in the in the world, in a certain country, in a certain locality. You're born to a certain family, all and you're you're, you're in a certain environment uh, that that you operate in. You're not sort of disembodied from the world in which you live, but you're fully immersed in it, embedded in that particular context. Now, because certain certain concept notions that we have, that we've inherited from, from uh, modern Western culture, we might still tend to think of this in terms as being very deterministic, right? That somehow if it's bound up in relationship to others or my narrative identity is embedded deeply embedded in a particular social context that somehow it can't be changed. And that's just, that's just simply not true. And we have to avoid, we have to be aware of that tendency for us to think about it in that way. But that your narrative is, is, exists and you're embedded and it's, it's bound up in relationship to others. But it's actually quite fluid, your understanding of yourself. And part of the process of becoming authentic, actually really the whole of the process of becoming authentic, is in some ways restructuring that narrative identity by becoming the real author of that identity to examine those aspects of our lives that may not be in accordance with reality that may not be in accordance with our true selves and instead to self-author our narrative identity to become who we really are.